0: Philippians chapter four. Jack mentioned we continue our series, uh, our verses, our favorites this morning and Philippians chapter 4, there's actually several verses in this passage that were uh, submitted as favorites, but today we're just going to look at verses 4 through 7. And this was, it wasn't the most submitted verse, but it was a top five. So this is many people's favorite, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. And if I can say at the beginning, this is one of those passages that, and the reason it was probably submitted as a favorite, it is a very comforting passage. It brings a lot of comfort and peace, but at the same time, it is very hard for us to practice what the instructions that Paul gives to the church in Philippi, and that apply to us as well. So you'll hear me say that several times this morning. This sounds great, and it sounds great in theory and theology, but when it comes to practicing and in everything, turning to the Lord in prayer, it's difficult for us to practice. So let's read beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And since Paul says not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. I think it's fitting that we start our time together in his word and prayer this morning. So would you pray with me? God, we confess this morning that there are are seasons of our life and there's times in our life where we want to trust ourselves. That's what comes naturally, that we think we can handle it. We think that we can do it on our own instead of turning to you and trusting in you, the firm foundation that you give us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God. So we ask that you give us the grace and the strength to in everything, in every circumstance of life, that we turn to you. God, we don't place our trust in ourselves. We don't place our trust in any form of earthly government. We don't place our trust in any circumstance or material wealth that we might have, God, but we place our trust in you. And so, God, we need you. We need you to help us to place our trust in you and to stand on the firm foundation that you've given us in Christ. So, God, we ask that you speak to us this morning as your servants, and we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Gordon McDonald, a famous author that you may have heard of and may have even read some of his books, he, in one of his books called The Life God Blesses, Weathering the Storms of Life that Threaten the Soul, he tells a parable called The Wreck of the Persona. And it's written, it's, it's been told in other books and, and stories as well. So you may have, have heard this story, but The Wreck of the Persona is about, about a very wealthy, prosperous man who decided that he wanted to build the biggest, most expensive, finest yacht that the world had ever seen. And so he sets out to build this this yacht, and as he does, he he spares no expense, no energy, no effort. He puts all of his time, energy, effort, and resources into building the most grand yacht that the world has ever seen. And as he goes about building it, and it takes him, it's a it's a couple of year process. As he builds it, he can just hear the praise and the applause of men. That when once he finishes this boat, that what, what they will say about it, how great they will say it is. And so it's with that spirit in mind that he builds this boat called the persona. And he, he decorates, it. it's a huge yacht and he decorates it with the, the covers with teak wood and the sails are these large, beautiful, hand-sewn, colorful sails. The mast is a large wooden mast, just finely finished wood. He, and there's polished brass fittings. The riggings and the ropes are the finest that anyone's seen. These large staterooms that are in the boat are ornately decorated. And he spared no comfort or, or convenience in those who wanted it to be the fanciest boat that anyone had ever seen. And as he builds it, people are talking about it. And they're, they're praising him for the work that he's doing. But he gives very little time and attention to the keel or anything that has to do with what's under the water on the boat, anything with proper weight distribution and balance because nobody can see that part and nobody is making comments about what's under the water. They're just commenting on what can be seen and that's what inspires him to build this and to continue to build this boat and to invest time, energy, and resources into it. So he he builds this boat, and it, it comes the time for the maiden voyage. The day comes, and there's many, many people standing around watching it, and they're talking among themselves about how great this boat is, and they're saying, this is going to make us the talk of the yachting world, and surely this will make this man the commodore of our yacht club. And he's hearing these praise, and he sets off for to sail on the sea. He sails off on the persona, and As he's standing there gripping that large wooden steering wheel that controls the rudder, he has a sense of pride and accomplishment about what he has built. And he feels like the the boat is his to control and the sea is his to control. And before too long, the, the persona is just a blip on the horizon. And not too many miles out to sea, there comes a storm. And it's not a hurricane, but it's not a, a small thunderstorm either. It's a, a good-sized storm with winds in excess of 40 miles an hour, and there's 15-foot waves. And so the persona begins to take a beating. The sails are, are soon torn in two, and that nice, fine wooden mast is snapped in two. And the, the polished brass fittings and the teak wood are being covered with water as water is coming over the, the bow of the boat. And so the man begins to panic. And before too long in the battering of the waves, a big wave comes and completely capsizes the persona. And now it's important to note that had he given proper time and attention and detail to the underside of the boat, the proper weight distribution and balance that most boats would have righted themselves in this storm. But because he gave no attention to that, the persona begins to sink and the man along with it. And the the, the boat sinks, the man drowns, he dies, never to be heard from again. And it wasn't until several months later, as bits and pieces of this nice, fancy yacht began to wash ashore, that people realized that this man had built half a boat. There were no, no emergency devices on board. There were no emergency life jackets. There were no emergency radios. Nothing, no emergency boats, nothing that would symbol the thought that a storm might come, which anyone who would sail knows that those storms come fast and you don't see them coming until you're in trouble unless you've built a proper foundation for your boat. So this man, these people realized what this man had done. They said, this foolish man built half a boat. Well, why, why would he do that? And so soon his name was forgotten. The name of the boat was forgotten and he simply became known as the foolish man. And for many of us, we live our lives in this, this same manner, giving very little time and attention to our foundation in Christ and building on that foundation. And I want to be clear, this is not building on that foundation so that we earn God's favor or we earn out our salvation or we earn God's blessing, but we build on that foundation knowing that, that that is in Christ that we have a firm foundation. It's in Christ that we have balance and that we have a foundation when those storms of life come, but instead many of us, we turn to anxiety. And we we want to put our trust in ourselves and we want to put our trust in the praise and applause of men or in material possessions or in whatever this world has to offer. And so we trust in those things instead of trusting in Christ. And so when the storms of life come, we don't turn to that foundation. We turn to ourselves, which brings anxiety and fear and worry. And in Psalm chapter one, before, if you want to keep your finger in Philippians chapter four and flip over to Psalm chapter one, we see these two different paths illustrated that this first chapter in the book of Psalms, a book of prayer and praise begins with illustrating these two different lives. And so in Psalm chapter one and verse one, it says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's the life that God intends for us. God's desire for us in salvation is that we stand on that firm foundation, that we are like trees planted by streams of water that yield their fruit in season. And a tree planted by streams of water will thrive and flourish even in a drought. Because even though there's no rain, that stream will provide the nourishment and the foundation and the deep roots that that tree needs to thrive. And so that's the life. And it says, in, it, it says, but his law is in the light of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That we have to, we build on this foundation, trusting in God's word, spending time in God's word, reading his word so that we build on this foundation so that when those storms come, we have deep roots in that foundation in Christ. And in verse four, this is the other path. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That life, that trusts in ourselves, we want freedom. Those those of us who want freedom from God, meaning we want to trust in ourselves, God turns us over to that and we trust in ourselves and put our faith in ourselves. And it says we're unstable in all our ways, that we're like chaff that the wind blows away. Or like a boat with, with no foundation, with no proper weight distribution so that when storms come, we're, we're sunk. Our, our boat turns over a boat capsizes and but there's a different life. The God that life intends for us is a life that's built on meditating on the word of God and our delight is in his word and we stand on this firm foundation in Christ. And so the psalmist illustrates those two things. And when we flip to Philippians chapter four, Paul is gives exhortations to the church in Philippi. The subheading under chapter four in your Bible might say exhortations or strong emphatic instructions strongly urging the Philippian believers and strongly urging us to practice these things, to put these, these instructions into practice. The, the letter that church wrote, that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi is his most loving, encouraging letter. A lot of Paul's letters, he's dealing with false teachings, and so he's, he's, he's issuing correction and rebuke and reproof. But the letter to the church in Philippi is a loving, encouraging letter, and he gives instructions or exhortations in chapter 4. And the first one that we read in verse 4 is, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. That Paul gives this command, not, not a suggestion, but a command to rejoice in the Lord always. It, do, it doesn't say rejoice in our circumstances, he says rejoice in the Lord always. We, we can't always rejoice in our circumstances. There are difficult seasons in life. There are times that bring grieving and mourning, and there are even times that bring anxiety. But we, we, when we stand on that firm foundation, we can rejoice in the midst of those things. Paul was facing persecution. He was facing threats of death. He was dealing with false teachers and even believers who were angry or upset with him. But he says, rejoice in the Lord through all of that. Don't, don't rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. So that's the first thing that Paul tells us. The second thing in verse five is, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. In the original Greek translation, the word that is used there for gentleness, we don't really have a good word to translate that into English. And so you look at different translations and there's different words that are inserted there. Some say, let your gentleness be evident to all. Others say, let your forbearance be evident to all. Others say, let your reasonableness be evident to all. Reasonableness, what what a great word that is, that in every circumstance, in every situation, act reasonably. Others have graciousness. Let your graciousness be evident to all. And Paul here is, the idea here is contentment. And Paul deals with contentment later on in chapter 4 as well, that we have this humble graciousness, this humble contentment about it, knowing that Nobody owes us anything. We, we shouldn't expect anything. Nobody owes us anything. God doesn't owe us anything. So we live with gentleness or graciousness in all circumstances. And what Paul is really telling us is to live our lives with a, through the lens of the gospel. That when we live our lives through the lens of the gospel, with the gospel being not that we are good, but that God is good. And that when we were at our worst, he loved us enough to send Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. So God has extended his grace to us when we least deserved it. And we're to extend grace to others, to let graciousness be evident to all, even when they're least deserving of it. That in our family relationships, in our working relationships, in our friendships, that we let our graciousness be evident to all, extending grace in all circumstances as God has done for us. And then Paul says, the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. The Lord, the Lord is near in space and he's near in time. He's near in space, meaning proximity. That the Lord dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God living in us, allowing us to let that gentleness be evident to all. So he's near in space and he's near in time. The, the Philippian church and Paul, they thought the second coming of Christ would be within their lifetime. They thought that they would see the second coming. So they lived their life, and Paul's urging them to live their life in view of that second coming. And when we do that, that changes our perspective on things. And we can let our gentleness be evident to all. We can let our graciousness be evident to all because we're trusting that the Lord is coming and that he will make all things new. And so these little things that we hold against one another, instead of extending grace, those little things that we hold against one another, we know if we live in light of his return that he's going to come and make everything new. And so those little differences that we have, it makes them seem petty and futile when we live in light of his second coming. So Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again rejoice the second thing let your gentleness be evident to all and the third thing is to stand in a confident faith in the lord having a confident faith in the lord not to be anxious about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our requests to god means in all circumstances that we stand on this firm foundation that we trust that god is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do and we turn to him in all circumstances We trust him. We don't trust ourselves, we trust in him. And we trust in his character. Paul says, in everything, turn to him. But so often we have the tendency to turn to ourselves and to trust ourselves. King David in the Old Testament is a great example of how hard this is to practice. King David, a man after God's own heart. God's chosen man to be king of his people. And he's in First Samuel chapter 21 and 22, David is fleeing from Saul. Saul is after him. He wants to kill him. So David's fleeing from him. He goes to the king in Gath, King Achish, thinking that he will provide him some, some support and, and help him to hide from King Saul. So he goes to him, and, and the king's men are like, is this not King David who we sing about that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? So these men are fearing King David. Like, well, what's he going to do to us? And so David realizes their fear and sensing that they're going to harm him. Instead of standing on the promises of God and trusting in what he knows about God and trusting God's character, he turns to himself. And he begins to act like a crazy man. It says in 1 Samuel 21, that he started making markings all over the, the, palace, the palace gates to the king's palace and he lets drool and saliva build up all over his beard, acting like he's crazy because he's trusting in himself and turning to anxiety instead of standing on the promises of God and trusting in God's character. Does David know who God is? Absolutely. He knows who God is, but in this moment, he turns to himself. It's as if he forgets his foundation in God and he turns to himself. But then we read in Psalm chapter 57. Psalm chapter 57, David, in the beginning of 1 Samuel 22, after that incident with the king, it says that David goes and he hides in a cave in the, in the area of Adullam. And Psalm 57 says a psalm of David when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Verse one says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you, my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, To God who fulfills his purpose for me, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. Verse five, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verse nine, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaching to the skies. So David has just turned to anxiety and acting like he's crazy. But then he he goes to this cave where he's hiding, and he begins to remind himself. He begins to, to stand on this firm foundation, reminding himself of who God is, reminding himself of God's character, and crying out to God in everything, in every circumstance, crying out to God, Lord, have mercy on me. And praising God for who he is, for his character, that he protects us. This is great practice for David, and it's great practice for us that when those seasons of life come, when we want to trust in ourselves and not stand on this firm foundation in our relationship with Christ, that we turn to God's word and we remind ourselves of his character. We remind ourselves of who God is and we stand on this foundation. Tim Keller said, defines prayer this way. Prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. That's what David is doing right here. He's turning, he's reminding himself of what he knows about God's character and how he's experienced God's love and his faithfulness in the past. And so in this season, he turns to him and says, I trusted in myself, now God have mercy on me. These men are after me, have mercy on me. I'm turning to you, God. And what great practice that is for us, that we remind ourselves that God is our rock, that he is our refuge, that he is our hiding place that he is the faithful one, that he is our God who neither slumbers nor sleeps and that he protects us, that he holds us in the midst of those storms. And this year in our church family, we've been focusing on the spiritual discipline of prayer, trying to grow in that spiritual discipline so that in these seasons, that in every circumstance, in everything, we turn to our relationship with Christ. We turn to entrust our knowledge and character of God. So we've been focusing on that. And as I said, Tim Keller defines prayer as a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. And Paul here gives three, three descriptions of prayer, three words for prayer. The first one he uses is by prayer and petition. By prayer, that word prayer, just general sense of prayer, spiritual devotion. And then petitions, those requests that we present to God. And then he says with thanksgiving. So by prayer and petition, as we present our requests to God, we do it with thanksgiving. This, this sense of humility and gratitude should be the basis of all of our prayers. That we pray trusting that God loves us and he will lovingly give us what we need. So as we pray, we're not trusting our will be done, but God, your will be done. Your will be done. We pray with humility and gratitude in all occasions. And so we've been focusing on the spiritual discipline of prayer, but for many of us, as I've already, as I've already mentioned, this is it sounds great. Yes, turn to him and everything in prayer. Yes, Paul, I get it. But it's so hard for us to practice. And often, we, it, it's not that we don't want to pray. We don't really know where to start. David started in Psalm 57 as he's crying out to God. He started praising God. Have mercy on me, O oh God. He's presenting a request, but he's trusting God's mercy. So I want to I look real quick at two models for prayer. These are probably nothing you've never heard, but it'll be a great reminder for us that when we turn to the Lord in prayer, we have some models to follow. And the first is the ACTS model of prayer, the ACTS model of prayer, just the the simple letters, A-C-T-S, that when we turn to God in everything through prayer, we start with adoration. The A stands for adoration, that we praise God, we start praising God, praising him for who he is, praising him for his character, praising him for his faithfulness to us. And then the second is the C is confession, that we confess our sins to God, that we plead the blood of Christ over our sins, confessing that we fall short of what God intended for us and confessing that we are not God and that he is and that he is in control and we're trusting him. The C is confession. Then the T is thanksgiving. As Paul mentioned, with thanksgiving that we pray with this humility, this gratitude that we are thanking God for who he is thanking him for his love for us his faithfulness to us and then the s is supplications that we present requests to God that we present needs to God and often we we we, that kind of gets a bad rap in prayer that we don't want to we don't want to just present requests to God but Paul says it don't be anxious but in everything by prayer and petition we can present those requests to God That's okay. That's trusting in him. That's standing on that firm foundation in him. That's helping us develop that standing on that foundation to to present our request to him. So that's the acts model to start with adoration and then confession and thanksgiving and then presenting our requests to God. And another model is the model that Jesus gave us with the Lord's prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus doesn't leave them hanging and say, well, there's really no, no one way that's better to pray than another. He gives them a model to follow. And so the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 9 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Starting with that praise. Lord, holy is your name. Holy is your name. Praising God. And then verse 10, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, continued praise and thanksgiving, praying with humility and gratitude, trusting his will be done, not our will. And then verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. God, meet our needs today. But notice that he just says, give us today our daily bread. He's presenting requests and petitions, but he's saying, give us today our daily bread, meet our needs lest we forget our need for you, God. And then verse 12, Forgive us our debts, confession, confessing our sins to God. But then also, as we have forgiven our debtors, that we forgive those who have sinned against us, acting with grace in all circumstances. So confessing, but also saying, God, help us to forgive others. So he starts with praise and thanksgiving, and then petitions, and then confession. And then the last, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Seeking protection from temptation. God, protect us from the evil one. Keep us from evil. We don't want to be like the chaff that the wind blows away like the wicked God. We want to be like a tree planted by streams of water. Our delight is in you. Keep us from temptation. So Jesus gives us that model. And a great way for us to pray is to start. When we don't know where to go in prayer, is to start with the Lord's Prayer. And maybe pray through the Lord's Prayer a few times. Or start with the book of Psalms. And pray through some of those prayers as we begin our prayer time, filling our minds with Scripture as we turn in everything to God, trusting that he is in control and that we are not. And the last thing Paul tells us in verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That when we turn to him in everything, we don't have to be anxious and the result of that praying in all occasions with thanksgiving is that we have the peace of God with us, a peace that surpasses all human understanding, that when the, Lord, the world looks at us, they say, how, how is it that person maintains peace in, this, in, in spite of these circumstances, in the middle of these circumstances? How are they at peace? How are they letting their gentleness be evident to all? How are they rejoicing in all things? Because we're not trusting in circumstances, we're trusting in God and we're turning to him in everything, in every situation, in every circumstance, trusting that he is in control and we are not. And this is easy for us to talk about this morning. It's easy for me to get up here and share But when it comes to putting this into practice, we have to stand on this firm foundation that we have in Christ. We have to delight ourselves in his word and turn to his word day in and day out. C.S. Lewis said, relying on God has to start over every day as if nothing has yet been done. Relying on God has to start over every day. So you and I have to wake up each morning and say, God, today I surrender to you. Today I'm gonna turn to you in everything in prayer. And then tomorrow we gotta start all over because our natural tendency is to trust ourselves. And the builder of the persona, he focused on what you could see on what looked fancy. He focused on the praise and applause of men and what would get him that praise instead of focusing on a foundation. And so as we build our lives, we build it on our foundation in Christ, turning to his word, turning to him in everything in prayer. And when we don't, we've only built, we've built our foundation on ourselves and not on Christ. And as the builder of the persona, he built half a boat. We want to build our boat on this, build our lives on this foundation in Christ. Another passage that talks about worry is Matthew chapter 6, worry and anxiety. The end of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And at the end it says, so do not, worry, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or drink? Or what, shall we, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But then Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's easy for us to worry. It's easy for us to, to have anxiety and to trust ourselves instead of trust, trusting in God and turning to him in everything in prayer. Would you pray with me?